Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the 1970. My name is Mark Damon, and I am joined, as always, by PSG Talk editor Ed. Um, we have a lot to discuss today. Uh, transfer news as PSG starts the window pretty fast and furious compared to the last couple of years. Um, we'll talk about one of the uh, comments I made on Twitter that made quite the stir around the around the platform. Uh, we will also discuss uh, Kylian Mbappe's latest comments, some thoughts I might have on that, some thoughts that Ed might have on them. And uh, we'll kind of maybe wrap up with a little bit of Euro talk. We'll see how far we get. But I would be remiss here to not mention that we are recording this on Saturday, uh, June the 12th. For those of you who may be following us live, you obviously know what happened about three and a half hours ago or so. Um, I was watching it live. Uh, I didn't, I was actually doing uh, housework, kind of keeping the game in on the background. And I sort of saw, I saw sort of the aftermath of all that. I didn't actually see when it happened. So, you know, once I was able to kind of see it on Twitter when they sort of showed it, it's just probably one of the, I, I wouldn't even couch it by saying that. I'd say the kind of scariest most uncomfortable situation I've ever seen on a, on a, maybe even on any kind of sports field. And that's really saying a lot. Um, really did not look good there for a stretch, but luckily all the news indicates that uh, he's, Christian Erickson we're talking about obviously is responsive. He's talking in hospital, seems to be feeling all right compared, you know, as well as I guess you could feel in a situation like that. But, you know, it was just frightening situation. A, a lot of things that can be said about it. I mean, I'll try to, you know, say a few things that I think this sort of exposed, but I think first and foremost, we just have to be thankful that the medical staff was able to get there in time. We're able to basically save his life because those, you know, those kind of fluke, fluky kind of heart attacks, those things, even for people in their twenties and their thirties, it can, it can kill you. And if you're not, if you're not gotten to right away, if they don't get you medical help, it, it, it could be, you know, it could be fatal. And luckily, you know, there's never a good place to have a heart attack, but if you're having a heart attack in a place where there's world-class medical facilities and world-class physicians and world-class EMTs, I guess there could be worse places to have one, but, you know, scary scene for everyone involved. And as I bring you in, um, just sort of if you want to give your sort of thoughts on it, if thoughts is the right word, maybe wishes or. No, uh, absolutely. I, I didn't see it live. I was out running errands. I mean, Finland, Denmark just isn't must watch TV for me. I know it's the Euros, but it's just not a game I'm setting my schedule to. And so I had a, a friend of mine texted me and said, holy crap, did you see what happened? And so then I pulled up Twitter and I started seeing it and um, very scary. I'm glad he's okay. Um, you know, it seems to be stable and all that. So kind of put a, a damp in the mood, you know, because it's been a while since we've done one of these podcasts, the 1970. So um, it's been a little while um, and, and we were excited and kind of just dampened the mood. But I guess if there's one bright spot, it is that he's he's doing okay. So prayers out to Erickson, who at one point was was actually linked with the move to PSG at one point. So um, yeah. not that that matters at all, but just thought I would put that out there. But he's a hell of a player, and I'm glad it seems like he's going to be okay. Yeah, and, you know, I think that 
I, I, I'm a bit frustrated at how some of that was handled. I, I'll say now that I think um, in the future, I don't think the cameras should stay in that situation. I think they should, once they realize, you know, once you see a player getting chest compressions, I mean, there was a shot they had where, you know, it looked like he was just out completely, you know, eyes in the back of your head kind of stuff. And it, it, once you realize that this is not a, you know, you know, we, we talk about football being this great human drama, but that that's not human drama that that got to that really in, in to watch that whole thing. I know you weren't there to watch the whole thing, but it, it got to a point of exploitation. And yeah, it got to that point where you're, you know, you're watching the video of the car crash or the, you know, or the hot, you know, in the, in the seventies, there was a, um, in the seventies Olympics in Munich, there was a terrorist attack on the Jewish, uh, delegation in, in their, their hotel rooms and they had cameras on it the whole time. And that, that, how that ended was in death and to, keep the cameras on when you may be watching someone die in front of your eyes, that is exploitative. And the players knew it. They made a ring around to try to block the cameras. And I think at that point, once you, again, once you start seeing that they're, they're blocking the cameras, you, you have to cut away. You have to. You can't put, the you can't put your production team in that situation where they're you know showing footage of the of the fans crying and the girlfriend on the field and distraught uh, like yeah that's like, this bad. is just this is just it, it's not the it's not the freak show at the circus this is these are real people and this is a real event you don't need you don't need to document it you can document it with your cameras but you don't have to show it live you could show scenes later when you know that the guy came through it but yeah. to to do it in the moment to to exploit a situation like that i i i think the uefa and it's a and it's the uefa feed so they're sending that out to the rest of the world i i think people should have made the decision to just cut the camera and go to you know go to commercial you, you could have done that and and the other part of this is that there is no reason they had to play this game and finish it. They finished the game. Finland won one nil. Yeah, it didn't really nil. matter at the end, but they played the game. They finished the game, and it's like I understand that the players uh, maybe you know said, "Hey, you know, Christian Eriksen wants us to play the game, so we're going to play the game for him." That that it's not a Disney movie. This isn't you know, this isn't win one for the Gipper. This isn't it isn't make believe. It's not it's not a, a television drama. It's real people. And yeah, I, I just saw I just saw a tweet come out. The BBC apologized for the coverage of the Ericsson on-field treatment. So I think you're you're going to get a lot of that apologies, and hopefully it doesn't happen again. We don't want anyone to, to collapse on the pitch like that. But if something ever anything like that ever happens again, hopefully, you know these production companies and broadcasters will learn their lesson and not show that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it really was sort of you know geek show at the carnival kind of stuff you know bite the heads off the chickens exploit you know exploit human sadness in, in a way that just wasn't uh it was just it was just creepy and seedy and low down and it wasn't it wasn't necessary to do it that way you know but yeah you just sort of get what i'm saying it's like 
I don't care what the and I I I care what the players are feeling, but I don't care that the players said they could go back out there. It was clear when you saw the Danish team out there in the warm ups. They they weren't into this. They didn't. They 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 went out there. They played the second half. They didn't really give. They they couldn't give the same effort. And how could they? They almost witnessed one of their best friends die, literally an hour. Mm-hmm. you know an hour ago arguably the and best player it, on the danish team too and even if it's the and even if it's like the the 10th or 12th best danish player on the team it doesn't matter you almost saw a guy die and now it's like uefa has to be the adult in the room they have to be the adults and we saw this in december when uh bisak shahir you know that that whole racial uh, incident yeah in, right how long it took for UEFA to make that decision. And the fact that it even got to that point that you had to postpone the game. And then you get into this situation where it's very obvious what should happen. Once you know that Christian Eriksen is okay, you know, postpone the game, play it in the morning. And who, who gets hurt by that? Just wait, wait, let, let them at least yeah. process what just happened. Let them, you know, try to get some sleep. Let they've them, they've got know. commercials. They've got commercials to show. I'm surprised they didn't say this near death experience brought to you by Nike or something. You know, like everything's about money. God forbid these guys get a break or have a moment to grieve one of their friends and teammates collapsing on the pitch. It's like, nope, get up, play on. It, it was just no, horrendous. Just, the fact that even, even the fact that the adults, that these people who are supposed to be adults, are you know sort of allowed that to happen was just i I, it was crazy it was just it was crazy to do that and it it just sort of speaks to um a, a larger problem in society and i think a larger problem in football which is i think with the massive explosion of tv revenue and player salaries and transfer fees I think you sometimes lose the fact that these guys are human beings and that they are not plow horses. They're not there to just tax themselves to the extreme for our entertainment. And we forget that sometimes. And I think this is an event that you should probably won't because the machine has to keep moving. The money still has to get made, but, there's this lack of humanity and empathy and understanding of how the human, how much the human body can take. And I don't know whether this is, you know, Chris, this specific incident is due to too many games. It may not be. Sometimes guys have, you know, sometimes people have flu heart attacks. Yeah. It happens. It, yeah. But especially in a sport where you're exerting so much physical energy, but at the end of the day, we have to have this discussion. I, I put it in on Twitter. 38 league games, you know, 10 between 10 to 13 European get matches if you're in if you're at a top level club. Then you have the domestic league games. Then you have the international friendlies that they have to squeeze in during the breaks. Then you have a Euro tournament or a World Cup or a Copa America or or a club world, you have all of these matches that are just squeezed together. These 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 guys are playing 
almost a match a week on average. Probably more than and that. And that's that's something Thomas Tuchel railed against when he was at PSG. They're playing too many games. The human body can't do it. You know, this isn't golf where you could play maybe 18 holes, you know, twice a day. I mean, this is a, a physical game, a lot of running. And they, they just played too much. We, like I said, we don't know what the issue, why he had a heart attack. Could have just been a fluke type thing. You know, you never know. You don't want to speculate. But I think the bigger picture to what you're saying is this is a major problem. They're playing way too many games. I don't know what you got to cut it down. I don't know how. Well, I mean, what would you take away right now? What would you well, take away? Well, you can, in, in League One is doing the smart thing. And I think part of the reason they're doing this is because the revenues are down and they have to contract the league. But they're going to go down to 16. I think they're going to go down to 18 teams in a couple of years. They got rid of That's the Coupe de la Liga, too, one of the domestic That's cups. They got rid of that. That's a start. I think I don't think there should be more than 16 teams in a, in a top flight league. I think 32 games is more than enough. Um, you you got to cut down the length of the games. You have to you have to you have to shrink the leagues. You have to cut down the amount of games. You have to get rid of most of the domestic cups. Um, you shouldn't have if you have one domestic cup, maybe fine, but you can't have two. It's just it's too much. And you, you really have to be aware and sacrifice some of those international friendly matches and just not have them. Yeah. Just let them go to the let them go to the training and practice, have them do, you know, maybe one international game. There there were times, you know, they were trying to fit three international fixtures into a two week break. And like again, th- this is insanity. Because then they go right back to their to their national, they go right back to their club team, and they play two days a week on you know on their club team, and the time that they're supposed to get you know an international break, it's not even really a it's not a break, it's it's just they're playing two or three matches out of that. I I can't, you know, I I can't stress enough how dangerous all of this is, and how money hungry and power hungry all of this is and i'm usually not one to rail against that kind of stuff i understand that it's a business but these are these are human beings we have to start remembering that absolutely i think that was very well said um kind of uh not as uh, i mean it's it's an opener you know not one that's uplifting and all that but it's a serious problem in the game of football was a serious incident that happened on the pitch today with erickson and um, it, it, we could probably go on and on about it, but um, until we know more about why he collapsed, and it just doesn't seem like UEFA or FIFA or any governing body is going to do anything about it anytime soon. And unfortunately, you know, you, you don't want to see this happen, but they're running these guys into the ground. So it wouldn't surprise me if someone collapsed at some point. I mean, it's just it's scary stuff, and you got to give these guys a break. So, um, well, Mark, let's talk. Let's switch gears slightly and talk a little bit about PSG. Uh, there's been some breaking news this past week. Uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, PSG signed him on a free transfer from Liverpool FC. Reports have him earning around 9.5 million per season through 2024. Um, this is a signing that um, PSG essentially stole from Barcelona. They were heavily linked with the player. I think Frankie De Jong at the last minute was trying to um, encourage him to come. To Barcelona, a lot of fans are saying that he only came to PSG for the money. Uh, PSG did offer him more um, in in terms of wages. We had Fabrizio Romano, a journalist who you know basically becomes a transfer. He's the the best source. He told us in an interview that sure the money was one thing, but he was he was intrigued. He was um, convinced by PSG's 
project and the promising season they had just come off of, whereas Barcelona really is a club in turmoil. And so what are your overall thoughts on that signing? What does it mean to be taking transfer targets away from Barcelona? And if you want to talk about that tweet and the the rabid response you got, um, take it away. Well, you got to sort of take these things one step at a time. So I think on the field, I think this is going to help PSG. It's not a game changer. I don't, I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's a massive, you know, trajectory altering signing, but it's another really good, solid midfielder. I think he's probably becomes your second or third best midfielder right out of the gate. I guess it depends on how you rate uh, Leandro Paredes, whether you have him ahead of Wijnaldum or not. I think it depends on the kind of style you like out of your midfielder. I think Wijnaldum is probably now our second best midfielder, uh, Paredes closely behind. And that gives you a good, you know, first three guys. And then your, you know, your Idrissa Gaze and your um, Danilo Pereira's, you know, in that sort of, and Ander Herrera, obviously sort of in that next tier of guys. And it's a good deep midfield set. I, I, I don't know whether with, the injury history right now with Marco Verratti, who does seem to be made of glass. He seems to be sort of heading in that Javier Pastore sort of direction where the body just sort of breaks down on you and there's not, you know, no amount of sort of rest or surgery or rehabilitation can really seem to help that. And I'd be concerned right now if I'm PSG and Marco Verratti is my best midfielder, I'd be very concerned at that guy being able to last and be a full contributor for uh you know eight to nine month season so you know if wine album is able to sort of slot in there as your second or third best guy and Verratti's able to stay healthy i think that's a really strong midfield i think it's probably one of the strongest midfields they could put out right now realistically i mean n'golo conte is not going anywhere paul pogba is probably not going anywhere and, um, you know, if you sign someone like, a, you know, Kamavinga from mm-hmm. Ren, That's what I was he's, not an imme- he's, he's not an, he's not an immediate plug and play midfielder. He's somebody you're going to have to work in the rotation. He's still only what, 18 years old and yeah, 19, you know, midfielders are not finished products at 18. You know, you could put a Kylian Mbappe in the lineup at 17 years old as a, as a forward, because you know, he just had those certain gifts and not everyone's killing Mbappe. Not everyone's Lionel Messi where he can come in at 17 and be the best player on the field. That just doesn't, it doesn't usually work that way. You need to have seasoning. So, you know, if Kamavinga sort of is that next domino to fall for PSG, if they're able to sign him, I don't think he's an instant impact guy. So for what they got him for, I think Wijnaldum is the best guy they probably could have gotten with the kind of experience that you can plug into your lineup. He's generally stays healthy. Although it seems like when you come to PSG, even if you've been healthy, most of your career, there's when your hamstrings start to go. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I don't, you know, there's, there's reasons for that that we could get into, but we've probably, you know, driven that into the ground over the years, that talking point, but you know, I think it gives PSG more midfield versatility and that's, and that's a good thing. And you get them on a free, you have to pay a little more of a premium 
but PSG right now are in uh, they're in win now mode with this core of players. Most of their core is signed to 2024. So two or three more years left of guys in Wijnaldum signed for until, well, we signed until 2024. So it really is important that PSG get the next two, three years right. And I think, you know, looking down the line, they're going to have to rebuild the roster at some point, but now is not that time. Now is not the time to sign some 19 year old midfielder and expect that and give them significant minutes. Like it's just, it's not quite that time. If you can get a guy like Kamavinga for some level of a discount and then sort of maybe even loan him out for a year and then sort of wean him into the, into the lineup, that would be ideal as somebody who could replace Marco Verratti in the next two, three years down the road. But right now, it, it is about winning now. And I think this is a really solid win now move. Yes. Well and put. I'll, I'll let you, I'll get into the other part of it if you'd like, but um, yeah, let me, let me jump in and just talk about let's, just yeah, let's the, the signing. In. I mean, my concern, Verratti is just so far head and shoulders above all of our other midfielders, I think. And, and the issue with that is, is he's consistently year after year, unavailable whether it's through injury or suspension for the biggest games and i almost think psg needs to sign a midfielder that is on a variety level that they can depend on a little bit more i like winaldum he scored some big goals for liverpool you know the the wages are a little high but you know that's it's not my money i don't care you know we didn't have to pay a transfer fee so think about it that way um yeah. i i just worry that he's not up that upper echelon midfielder that we need. I mean, it's, it's variety. And then everyone else, it seems like we just have a bunch of midfielders who are kind of all the same or at the same level. I do wonder if they're going to sell and Herrera or maybe a Paredes to fund a Milinkovic Savage or a Kamavinga or somebody like that, a player who could come in and be on that same level as variety. I wonder if that's what this is all building to. And then you'd have Wijnaldum there as kind of like depth along with Danilo. So, um, that's, I, I hope that's the, the way they're going right now. It just seems kind of like a log jam at midfield where you, it's just variety up top and then just a bunch of guys, um, who are all about the same right behind them. Um, that's, that's how I feel about that. But to, to talk about Barcelona a little bit, <laughs> go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's not necessarily the worst thing. If Marco Verratti could stay healthy, if Verratti could stay healthy, then you, then you can, you could do that. I think you we've seen a good Marco enough sample Verratti size. In a, in a, I know, but he's not going to stay healthy. But you get what I mean, though. If if they were able to stay healthy, I think they have the absolute right kind of midfield. Hundred percent. But he yep. doesn't. But he doesn't. So it, it, you still you still need that elite guy to sort of be able to fill in there if Verratti were to ever get hurt. And you think maybe Leandro Paredes, still fairly young, could be that guy, but. Um, I don't think he's that guy right now. And yeah, so uh, it's a good signing. I'm not trying to put a damper on it. It is a good signing, but, you know, yeah. depending on if Verratti can stay healthy, it may be sort of rendered a mm -hmm. kind of irrelevant signing, if that's yeah. the way to No one's having a party. We're not saying we're winning the Champions League because of it. It's a, it's a decent signing made better by the fact we did take him away from Barcelona, which is nice because they are in financial 
turmoil right now and they are looking for players like Wijnaldum who have some quality that they could get on a free transfer and PSG said mm, we'll take that thank you very much and so you tweeted out you want to read uh, your tweet to folks and then what the reaction to that was all right I gotta bring it up here um, yeah so I didn't really say this in complete seriousness <laughs> um, I, I really was not attempting to make some sort of uh to make some sort of you know declarative statement of war but apparently that's what it was um so here we go psg stealing a barcelona signing is always fun reminds people that things have changed around here and that psg is now the alpha in the psg barcelona relationship so that certainly got uh a certain a lot of amount of of quality uh 115 responses yeah (laughs) That one, that one hit pretty. That one pretty, <laughs> hit pretty hard. I didn't look at a lot of them because why would I do that to myself? No, but no. It did sort of prove the point if you if you think about it. And just the point I was really trying to make, which is, ten years ago, if PSG offered double the wages to a player, I'm pretty sure that player would have still gone to Barcelona. I'm pretty sure five years ago, if PSG offered double the wages. The player would have still gone to Barcelona because just the power dynamics were different. Barcelona were the preeminent club in the world. And to a degree, they deserved to be because they had the best players. They had the best player. They had the best system. Manager. They they literally stocked the Spanish national team, which is still, to me, the best uh national team run of any you know team in history you know two european championships and a world cup back to back to back and during that time barcelona was unstoppable they were unbeatable really they were unbeatable in a lot of ways not just on the field but they were just that was the club and at that time psg were still i think owned by canal or you know they were they were really a mid-table you know, a mid-table club in France that would occasionally win the Coupe de France, that would occasionally challenge for the league, but they weren't very much more than that. And I think me pointing out that the power dynamic has shifted so dramatically over the last five years or so shouldn't necessarily be controversial. I mean, PSG literally wrote a 222 million euro check and took Barcelona's second best player, the guy that they were earmarking to replace Lionel Messi, which is what they were doing. That was the plan. PSG pretty much just ruined that plan and Barcelona could do nothing about it. Then they win the Jordan brand sponsorship deal, which with Barcelona's relationship with Nike over the, over the years, you know, the fact that PSG won that and not Barcelona is another kind of slap in the face. And they wanted it from, um, from what I heard, they, they wanted it and Jordan went with PSG. Yep. So there's another, another sort of, of uh, win, if you will, for, for PSG. And then you go to this year and they finally play each other for the first time since 2017. And PSG really wiped the floor of them four to one at the camp new killing Mbappe with a hat mm-hmm. trick. Best game of the season. Um, best game of the season, probably. And Barcelona win the Coupe, uh, 
when you know at the end of the day Barcelona win as pretty much as many trophies as PSG did this year but you know I think PSG's uh I think PSG finishing second Barcelona finishing third in their league uh Barcelona being out in the round of 16 PSG going out in the semifinals I think PSG had the better season and I think you can argue that and I don't think it's really an argument I think it's sort of factual that PSG are on the ascent and Barcelona are on the decline. And there's a lot of reasons for that financially, I think being the, the singular main reason in that Barcelona made a lot of, you know, a lot of bad financial decisions. They bought a lot of guys on credit cards. And now that the, you know, sort of the, the whole sport is in a bit of a turmoil due to the lack of revenue, Barcelona is feeling that, you know, that you're, you're not really necessarily supposed to operate a club that big on a, you know, on American on a, express or whatever credit no, card. But it's, still, it's like you kind of do, because in the end of the day, you expect to pay it back. You, if you, you spend, you know, you put all the stuff on credit cards, but you, then you say, well, we have this revenue that we're going to be able to, you know, pay it back with. So don't worry about if we're in debt right now, because most, big clubs really do operate on debt. They operate in the hole because the revenue streams usually just keep going and going and eventually you yeah. get... Or they, or they borrow against the club. They say the club's valued at, you know, $4 billion. Can we get a loan for, you know, $50 mil or something? You know, they borrow against the club's yeah. value. It's not unlike if you have Absolutely. a house and you, you take a loan against the house or something like that. Yeah, but you, you see what's happened over the last year and that, you know, and that approach is now um it's time to pay up and they can't (laughs) yeah well and also they don't have rich owners at barcelona they don't have they're not owned by uh you know and i i don't even say this in a negative way but they're not owned by a sovereign wealth fund they're not owned by the glazers or the cronkies Mm -hmm. and you know not they're not owned by rich americans or rich british people they're not you know they're not they're a public club that essentially is run by the shareholders and the club, you know, they're very much uh, the model. If you know, talk in American sports, yeah. which I know everyone loves when we, we make American sports. <laughs> I know where you're going. They're basically the Green Bay Packers. Yep. It's exactly how they're run. That's how the Green Bay Packers are run. The Green Bay Packers don't have an owner, they have a president that they elect from the shareholders. And Barcelona is very much run that way. And when you, you know, when you run it that way and you have a president that's just in over their head and make these kind of decisions, this is where you end up. And right now I would say that. I would say, stand behind my statement. PSG are the alphas right now. They are the team you'd rather play for. You'd absolutely pick, P- if all things being equal, you'd pick PSG over Barcelona. And, and to, and, and let me just, and to that point, when you people are like, oh, La Liga compared to the, you know, French League, but is there really a difference between playing Malaga or, you know, a team like that in Spain or playing Nantes or Mets or something like that in France? Like, no one's legacy is made off of these league games between mid to lower tier teams. It's all about the Champions League. And in both teams, you can play in the Champions League, but one is more likely to win it and the other one is fading quickly. So that's just the argument that they always like to make. Is that oh, no one wants to play in your crappy league? Well, it doesn't. Players of Neymar's stature, they're winning. They want to win Champions League. They don't care about beating these crappy mid-table teams. Sorry, they just don't. 
but it's it's not even it's not even so much it's not even so much that it's it's uh, I kind of lost my train of thought on that on what I was gonna say here, but yeah, if, like if I'm you know it, well, first of all, I was gonna say that you know it's Barcelona are not in the Kylian Mbappe sweepstakes. If you notice that they're not they're not really an option for him. And five years ago, they absolutely would have been a major option for him, and they weren't. But you know, I'm not making the argument that PSG are a historically bigger club than Barcelona. That's not the argument I'm making. And I feel like I feel like people who are sort of raging against my my comments there, I think they were creating the straw man argument that I was saying that PSG are somehow you know, a historically bigger club or that, you know, they will always be a historically bigger. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no one's making the argument. I'm saying a very specific thing, which is that right now between the two clubs, PSG are the alpha. And what I mean by the alpha is that they are the stronger club. If we're talking about, you know, lions in the jungle or wolf or wolf packs in the wilderness right now, if we're ranking wolves, PSG are the higher ranked wolf. They're in, they're higher up in the pecking order. They're they're higher up in the in the in the patriarchy than Barcelona right now. And that's just I don't see how that's disputable. It's like not, people no. are not going to Barcelona for the for the legacy anymore. I mean in 2018, they had to play to pay Frankie De Jong, or was it 18 or whatever the hell, 19, I think, at the end of 19. Well, Nike, they, Nike, yeah, the winner of eight, winner of 18, uh, 19. They had to pay Frankie De Jong twice what PSG were offering, and it's very clear that Barcelona, the board wanted uh, Genie Wijnaldum. They made a big push for him, um, and PSG said, "We'll pay. We can't. Not that we." will pay you more in, in the sense that we're so desperate to have you that we're going to pay you more, more along the nature of we can't, we can pay you more because we can, which is different. In my opinion, it's, it's a distinction with a slight difference. You know, we can pay you more and it's not going to break our budget to pay you more. We're not sacrificing and leveraging our future to sign you, but we can pay you more because we're in better financial situation. So not only can we pay you more, not only can we put you around players who are better, you know, you get to play in, you know, you get to you get to play for Champions Leagues like you were playing for at Liverpool. And why now the like that and he liked the vision that Mauricio Pochettino gave him, which again, you know, not for nothing, but for a guy that's about to leave the club for Tottenham, he certainly is helping us on the way out the door, yeah. you know, signing good players. So, uh, you know, kudos to Pochettino for being a professional. Um, but yeah, I, I think I stand by what I said. PSG are the you alphas. Should. You they're should. The, they're the they're the team that right now is more high profile. They're more involved in top European matters, and they, they're not the ones that had to go to J.P. Morgan to ask for a big bank loan to join a Super League. So yeah, who are the alphas right now? I, I I don't think that's again. I don't think what I said was controversial, but clearly it struck a nerve, and clearly I think Barcelona fans understand this, which is why they're you know coming to the defense. <laughs> they know I'm right, 
but they can't say I'm right, but they know I'm right. They'll, they'll point to the source of the money. It's like, yes, we all know where the money comes from, but this is the cards as they've been dealt. And so, yeah, PSG, as you say, the alphas. Also say that, like, with Barcelona, you mentioned, you know, that strong generation that they had and all the titles and all that. They kind of caught lightning in a bottle there. I mean, how many great players has their academy really generated here in recent years, it's not like they're able to bring players through and they're having the sign like Aguero, like these older strikers. And it just seems like they're like, I don't know how they get back to where they were. It just seems like they just hit a lucky streak where they got these players and they built this culture. And now it's kind of all gone away. It's not that unlike Arsenal back in the, what was it? The late nineties, the Invincibles and um, Vieira and Henri and all these Bergkamp and all these players. And now look at them. Like, I think these clubs, they have these eras where they dominate and unless they can keep it going, it, it's not impossible for them to start fading away a little bit. Yes, you'll always have that history, and you know, kudos to you. PSG doesn't maybe have that illustrious history, but you're not always going to remain this top club. You may always be Barcelona, but you're not going to always have Messi. And once he goes, which could be this summer, those fans need to prepare for a, a long, cold winter because I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Their academy's not producing. They have financial issues. This is a club that I think in the next couple of years, Barcelona, that you could see finish mid-table. I don't think it would be that unsurprising. Who would have thought Arsenal would finish 8th or ninth in the Premier League? I, I certainly wouldn't have predicted that. So these these fans who think that these clubs will be great and always be great and never drop, that's it, just wrong. Unless there's money behind them and a lot of it, you can struggle. And, and that's what we're going to see from Barcelona, I think, over the next couple of seasons. So... I think we've talked enough about Barcelona. Let's talk about some more PSG transfers. This one's curious, um, Mark. I want to get your thoughts on this. Gianluigi Donnarumma, he's uh, essentially expected. I think I saw Fabrizio say that he's um, yeah, uh, he's going to be soon. Verbal agreement confirmed. Lawyers at work in the last hours to prepare the contracts. He's set to sign until June 2026. So long-term deal there. Um, what do you think about that? It's going to be around $60 million net if all add-ons are activated so it's going to be a pricey signing um just in terms of wages but PSG have Keeler Navas um and he's playing really really well number one do you think Donnarumma gets loaned out immediately and number two why is this a player that PSG are even looking at right now it's just convenient because he's they're able to sign a world-class goalkeeper that young on a free transfer yes that that that's all right, moving along. <laughs> well, well, no, but look, I'll, I'll expand. I think when you're, and, and I'll, I'll sort of tie two things together here. And I think there's, you know, especially since Chelsea and Tomas Tuchel won the Champions League a couple weeks ago, I think there's been this sort of philosophical question of, you know, is somebody like Leonardo, is he the right guy? Is, you know, did he make, did they make a mistake firing him? I still say no. I still say he was done with the club. I still say that he's, you know, wasn't going to, that team wasn't turning around under Tuchel. It barely turned around under Pochettino. I think there were a lot of factors to that, but I think they needed an infusion of different ideas. And I think Tomas Tuchel had worn out his welcome. And, you know, look, you know, all power to him. He gave Chelsea the sort of short-term burst that they needed, got them the Champions League. I don't know whether that's going to translate to long-term success or not, but, you know, time will tell. 
not going to say either way because that would be trying to predict the future and that's not a business we should be in. But, you know, you have a, you, you're right. You have a goalkeeper like Kaylor Navas and they just extended him till 2024, which I think was before they had the idea that this signing maybe was able to happen. And it does seem to be a conflict where you have a world-class goalkeeper who's was arguably, I wouldn't even say arguably, probably their best player this year and one of their top three players last year who is one of the most prolifically successful goaltenders of his era, who has three Champions League trophies, which is more than most goalies can say. I think probably maybe it's up there on the, I don't know how many, who has the most, but I'm pretty sure Kayla Navas is up at, up there on that list. And before the Manchester City tie, he had not lost a two-legged Champions League tie in his life. So we're talking about PSG having one of the top five goalkeepers in the world Yep. for the last two years. Now, if you are thinking just merely in the present or, you know, thinking merely in the next 12 to 24 months, Kaylor Navas is on a reasonable contract. You have him till 2024. You think, all right, ride him out, see how far he can go. And then, you know, when he finally sort of tails off, you have to go find another guy. But there's a problem with that logic. There's a problem with that. And the problem is it's really, really hard to get good goalkeeping. When a goalkeeper goes to a club, an elite goalkeeper goes to a club, very rarely is that goalkeeper ever transferred. Great point. Rarely, if ever. You look at it. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, Manuel Neuer. Um, I, I'm, I, I can probably... Oh, um, Al- Alisson's probably not going to go anywhere at Liverpool. He'll be Allison's there for a while. not going to go anywhere. Um, the guy on uh, Manchester United. Oh, uh, De Gea. De Gea. De Gea. Um, when you have a world... Gianluigi Buffon beforehand. It, mm-hmm. You know, it took 20 years <laughs> for Buffon to leave. And, you know, it took him 20 years to leave. They didn't let him go. Um... You don't let great goalkeeping go. You don't let those quality of players leave. It just doesn't happen. It's hard to make those transfers. Teams are very reluctant to let their goalkeepers go because usually whatever's behind it is not as good. And this is where I think somebody like Leonardo is a good sporting director because I think he can – balance the two main things that you need to as a steward of the club your job is not only to pick the players in the immediate to make the biggest impact now but it's also to balance that with what your club's going to look like in five years in 10 years that's what good sporting directors do and not mortgaging your future totally and psg have done a really i think I think they've they have sort of mortgaged their future in a way to win now. 
And this is not a move that is mortgaging your future for winning now. This is the counterbalance kind of move that you have to make to sort of offset what you're doing right now, which is trying to win the Champions League in the next two, three years, which is having the possibly most important position on the field, having a guy that you absolutely need, a a position that you absolutely need to have solid. You're not doing anything unless you have that position locked down solid. Very hard to win with a mediocre goalkeeper. It's doable. But it's it's doable to do it, but it's not you're not consistently going to be there. And to get a guy who I think universally is seen as a potential best keeper in the world kind of talent. Without having to pay a large transfer free up front. On a 12 million euro salary. For the next five years uh, with the obvious intent to extend farther to theoretically lock up your goalkeeping position for the next 15 years in a situation that is really like rare to see a top level 22 year old goalkeeper world class i mean what would he what would he cost on the open market you think well, when PSG tried to go for him in 2018, which they did, PSG have been after Jean-Louis Roma for years. When they tried to get him in 2018, the price that was floated around was 60 million euros, which is a lot. If, you know, and I think he's only gotten better since that point. I think, you, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's been his teammate for the last year, called him the best goalkeeper in the world. I don't think he was exaggerating. I think that's how he felt. Usually Zlatan likes to shit on everybody. So for him to pay a compliment to somebody, that must mean something. But, you know, here's this guy who's the undisputed goalkeeper for Italy right now. You know, who's only getting better, who's still not even in his prime. And for PSG to make this signing, which it looks like they're going to do, is, I think an excellent piece of business to sort of get to the sort of conclusion of, of all this uh, sort of going around the point. It's a great signing. And yes, it does cause an issue. And I think what you're going to see is Navas start the year. And I think very slowly, I think Gianluigi Donnarumma is going to take over that position because you can't, Assume that Kaylor Navas at 35 years old is going to be better than Gianluigi Donnarumma for the next five years. He's just not. So no loan, no Donnarumma loan. We're not going to loan no, him. Out. No, okay. I don't think they're going to loan. They're not okay. paying 12 million euros a year to loan a guy. I don't think that makes sense. You're putting 12 million on your books, and then you'd either have to pay him to go play for another team, or you'd have to shove that salary on to somebody else. And who the hell's paying him $12 million a year for a loan? Could, could Navas be on the move then? Do you think he's a player that gets moved? No, okay. no. I, I, I think they have. I think you have two goalkeepers now. Sure. I think okay. you, can, again, you can never have too many in the pipeline. And I think what you're going to see is this year is going to be PSG giving the reins over to Donnarumma. By the end of the year, I think Donnarumma is going to be the starter. 
And I think by the time Navas is 36, 37, I think you're going to see him sort of fade off into the sunset. I don't see him being a guy in his 40s still being a world-class goalkeeper. He's just, he's too, he's not a stationary kind of player. He's a, you know, he's a he's a smaller guy who relies on his reflexes in diving and jumping. And when you're that kind of goalkeeper, you do wear down faster. And you started to see him get injured a little bit this year where, you know, there were games that he missed. I remember he missed the, that in 2020, he missed the Champions League uh, semifinal game against uh, RB Leipzig because he pulled his hamstring. I think some along yeah. that line in the in the game against Atlanta. Yeah. So you, I think this is a wise decision. I think it's going to cause some problems in the beginning, but it's by any sort of metric in medium to long term, it's the right call. Well, here's here's my concern with it. I don't want to find out that Keeler Navas has, you know, lost a step in the quarterfinals or semifinals of the Champions League. If Donnarumma comes in, I don't even care if it's preseason, first couple of games or whatever it is. If Donnarumma is by far and away better than Keeler Navas, I don't want us playing Keeler Navas just because of his name, who he is, and what he's done so far since he's been here. If you have these two goalkeepers... I want Pochettino to say, you are clearly better and you are starting. And and that's just the way it has to be. I don't want to find out. I don't want to just go through a season where we have Keeler Navas and, oh, let's a uh, swan song. Let's just put him in there. And then he that like he had the error against Manchester City and let that weak goal go in um, from a De Bruyne, I think it was. And so if, if Donnarumma really is the best goalkeeper in the world, let's play him. He needs to start from day one. And that's how I feel about it. Well, you're not wrong, but I, I, I look at it also as there is going to be an adjustment period, I think. There's a 22-year-old who has never been out of Italy. Um, he's going to have to learn the language. He's going to have to learn the culture. I think in being a goalie, you have to communicate. And I think having him learn from Navas for a year you know, and then splitting it, I think you could get away with that. I think if you definitely have a guy who you're going to play in the Champions League games, I think you don't want to start getting futzy with that. But these league on matches, I think have them split. Yeah. And eventually Donnarumma takes it over, which is what's going to happen. Because Navas is getting going out of his prime. Donnarumma is going into his prime. This is just the natural way of things. And um, I think you see sort of what happened at Real Madrid where Navas was great for them all those years, but then they still sort of thought, okay, we still need a younger guy who can come in and, you know, be our goalkeeper for the next 10, 15 years. And that's what they sort of saw in Thibaut Courtois. And I think, I don't think he's been terrible for them. I think he's been good enough, but you know, this is, this is a situation that could sort of backfire in the short term. It absolutely could. And I think there'll be, I think it'll be a controversy. I think the, the French media will have a field day with this. <laughs> you know, they will, it doesn't, but it doesn't make it the wrong decision. 
because you have to think short term and you have to think long term. And the long term should always, with rare exception, should always outweigh the short term. Yeah, I mean, and, this could this could be the best signing of Leo's since he's returned. This could be the and, best signing. You look at what they're you look at what they're doing now too. They're they're probably going to re-sign Javi Simmons. So Simmons is going to get his professional contract, and he'll be signed up till twenty twenty six. Stole him from Barcelona. So he'll be a, he'll he'll be a guy in the lineup. Oh, I forgot. Even forgot to add that one. Um, <laughs> but you know, he'll be in the lineup, and. Uh, and I think that's I think there's a good balance going on right now. I think it's better than it was. And I think signing to, having those two big signings, and I guess we can transition into Killian Mbappe and what he said. Yeah, I want to get into that. Which which, you know, PSG are striking, you know, what's the Cobra Kai uh saying? Strike hard, strike you know, strike first, strike hard. That sounds about right. They're, 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 something like that. That's what they're doing. They're, they're very much uh, making a statement early in the window. They're going to have two players locked up before July. It looks like Hakimi is – I think they'll sign him. I think they're the only team with the funds to do it right now. That's, that would be Just massive. Spend- I want Hakimi in the worst way. So you, you get – your first three signings of the year are Donnarumma, Wijnaldum, and Akref Hakimi. <laughs> That's a pretty good statement to make to Kylian Mbappe, who's apparently, you know, is saying, you know, well, I'll sign. For you. What was it? Yeah, you know, let me I'll let me read the quote. Yeah, let, let me read the quote. He says, "I have to make the right decision, which is difficult, and give myself every chance to make the right decision. I'm in a place where I feel like it, feel good, but is this the best place for me? I do not have the answer. Well, if you sign all those players, I think." I think that'll convince him. Maybe a Kamavinga, throw him in there. Maybe if he has some departures. But this is a strong summer transfer window. And my question to you is, how do PSG play this? Of course, they're making these signings. Mbappe is coming up on his last year. If they don't get an answer this summer, Mbappe has to go in January, doesn't he? Otherwise, you're going to lose him on a free, which would be catastrophic. Well, no, he'd have to go. He'd have to go. In August, you would, you wouldn't, you would. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, it's okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he could negotiate his club in January. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, so they they wouldn't do that. But here, here's the thing, and he said something along the lines of the thing. I'll, you know, I don't, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, the thing I would say to Nasser Al Halifi is, what kind of players are you going to sign? You know, and and I get what he's saying, but what he he's also sort of. I think this is the first time where he sort of said something that I think was sort of, I don't know how to phrase it, but it was just sort of, it was revealing, I think, which is that he's not, you know, why doesn't Real Madrid have to prove to Kylian Mbappe that they have a winning project? Why is it only PSG that has to prove this? Which worries me a bit because... I think that's something that's coming from his camp. I think it's something that it's a Real Madrid talking point, basically. It's the talking point if you're Real Madrid going into this, which is PSG can't offer you a long-term winning project. Real Madrid can, and we've proven it over the years with all of the Champions Leagues that we've won, that even if we're in a down period, we will still be the best chance for you to win long-term. That's the argument that Real Madrid is making. And a sort of 
uh, tucked into that is sort of this assumption that Real Madrid are always going to be competing for Champions Leagues, that they're always going to be a better option than PSG. They got so just the as far burden, as PSG. So Let, the less burden, <laughs> yeah. So the, what I'm saying though is it puts the burden of it puts the burden on PSG to prove that they are here to stay in the long term competitively and not on Real Madrid. So the standards are not the same. And there's nothing he has said that would contradict what I'm just said there, which is that his standards for Real Madrid are lower than they are for PSG. And that I think you have to see as a problem because I think he's tipping his hand with that. And I think what PSG have to do is do what they are doing, which is you can only do so much. You can only bring in the players you're going to bring in. They are going to spend more money probably than any team in the window this year. There are no Real Madrid. uh, There's no real big Real Madrid links right now. There's no big, oh, Real Madrid's in on this guy or that guy or this guy. They're not even in on Hakimi, which is a guy that they would normally be in on in this kind of situation. Well, they had him, right? He was a a Real Madrid player. Um, He was loaned to Dortmund and then he sold him to Inter Milan. Yeah, no, they're not even in on Hakimi. They're not in on the big players right now. And if I'm Nasser, my response to Kylian Mbappe is, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm getting, I'm doing basically what I can in this situation. You're getting, you're going to get three of the top players out of the window. You're going to sign them. You're re-signing Javi Simmons. You re-sign the core of the team. Neymar is back till 2025. So apparently Neymar thinks PSG is the place. That Marquinhos, Verratti are locked up. Yes. So in the end of, at the end of the day, and I, and I think this is where we have to be, where I think PSG have to be very clear-eyed in what's going on here is to say, look, we've done practically all we can. We've offered him 30 million euros a year. At some point, you just have to say, does he want to be here or not? And from what he's saying, and I I don't like to be the sort of read in between the lines guy, but at some point, you just have to, you have to, you know, throw your hands up and go, okay, he doesn't want to be here. (laughs) We tried our best. And And I don't know if we're, I don't, I don't know if we're at that point yet, but, you know, if PSG sign Atraf Hakimi, Gianluigi Donnarumma, Jorginho Wijnaldum, possibly Kamavinga, um, you know, resign, you know, get Moise Keane off of loan from from mm-hmm. you know Everton, you know, Neymar, Neymar ext- extension, Neymar extension, don't maybe even that. signing a Sergio Ramos or something of that nature. I don't know, but how much more do, would you have to do? You know, at some point. You know, we're talking if it's a relationship, you can you can buy someone all the expensive things, you, you know, that you can. But at some point, if they don't want to be there, then you have to make that decision. Again, I don't know if we're at that point yet. I don't think we'll know for another month if we're at that. Yeah. Point. After the Euros. But, we'll, but after the Euros, we'll start to have a good idea. And PSG have to be ready either way. And. Whether it's a short-term, you know, I think it's worth signing the short-term extension if he wants to stay till 2024. 
I think that's worth doing. I think you you squeeze as much out of the core as you can, and keeping it for a couple years would be um, would be better than not. So, I, I would just you know I would just be I would couch that in saying I think if he wants to stay for a couple of years, you do anything everything you can to keep him. But if it's just a straight up, he's you know he he just sees it this way. I, I just think PSG should be more than prepared for that. It's going to be interesting because you you also have Holland out there who maybe plays another season at Dortmund, but he's going to be on the move and Real Madrid are going to want him. And can they afford both of them? Mbappe's got to be thinking about that. Maybe he's not going to be the priority for Real Madrid. Um, it, a, there's a lot to think about with this one, but I think... Well, um, here's yeah. the thing, though. It seems like right now PSG are negotiating against themselves, which... Yeah. Might be the case, but I don't see Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid is waiting. But, you know, PSG should just say, look, we're giving you everything you want. You know, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and there was that whole thing with um, Olivier Giroud and kind of a little comments back and forth in Mbappe. And Mbappe got, you know, his nose turned up a little bit. I don't know. It seems like Mbappe is under a lot of pressure right now to deliver for France. What his future is going to be. He's asked about it all the time. I think in terms of PSG and Leonardo, I think they need to have a deadline where they need to have an answer. And that way, if, if it's not what they want, then they, that way they can start making the phone calls that they need to and have a number in mind and, and get this done. I think if he does leave, it'll obviously hard to be not great for PSG. But the money coming in offers a lot of um, opportunity to look at other plays around and how you can strengthen this team. You still have Neymar. You still have uh, Di Maria and Verratti, Marquinhos and Kempembe. A lot of really solid players. So, um, But PSG really just need to make sure they leave themselves enough time to get something for them. That's my biggest fear. Um, Mark, we, we kind of are going over a little bit, but let me just get your thoughts real quick before we get out of here. We'll switch over to the media side of things. La Liga is now with ESPN uh, here in the United States. They'll be broadcasting all of those games, um, leaving League on and uh, the Turkish League with BN Sports. And so my question to you is, do you think that there will be a new U.S. broadcaster for League on ahead of next season? We just um, got the news that Amazon uh, picked up the the, lo- the media rights for uh, the broadcasting rights for League on in France. Uh, so they won't be broadcasting here in the United States. But do you think that's a, a signal of, of things to come that maybe Amazon could buy the French League? Um, broadcast rights from BN to show in the United States. Any thoughts on that? I don't know how BN in the United States survives beyond the next month. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine that they are going to try to build their sports league around Lee Gun and the Turkish League. I think that that network was basically built on the uh, La Liga rights. That's what it was built on. And it was based in Miami. It's still based in Miami, but they put it in Miami in a a Latin American central cultural hub in the United States. The basic idea being that we have these La Liga rights and this is the place where you get to see Ronaldo and you get to see Messi. And that was what built that network. And, you know, it was really threadbare there of you built a network basically around two soccer teams and Ray Hudson. That was basically the the whole thing. And they were able to build a nice little um, network out of that. They were able to build a nice little network with a bunch of different rights. At one point they had 
La Liga, Ligon, Serie A. They had three of the five top leagues for a year or two there. They had all of them. They had a lot of them. And Germany was in German. The German network was on. Germany's league was on Fox. Fox. And then, yeah. And then NBC had the Premier League. But they also had um, the EFL for a while. They had they had the second tier of English football for a bit. So League Gun had B in Sports had a big category of TV rights at a time where the TV rights for these leagues was a bit cheaper than it is now. So they could be a startup. Uh, they were basically a startup network with, you know, the, the, the actual main B in Sports is in Qatar. It's funded by Qatar. It's run by Nasser Al-Halifi, partly. So they put a network in, in, the, in an affiliate network in the United States. And the problem with being sports, and I think from the very, from, from what, what began to happen with them and what has been their downfall, is that, you know, these bigger media conglomerates decided to get into the TV, the soccer TV rights business. They saw the, the success of the Premier League, and a lot of them tried to copy it. ESPN gobbled up the Serie A. They're gobbling up the Bundesliga. Uh, now they have La Liga. I think um, CBS has Serie A now. CBS does? Okay, mm-hmm. so CBS now has Serie So Okay, another Paramount. Yeah, they've come in. They're a new player. Icom, Par- Icom. Champions they League, Serie A. Serie A. So the, the big boys are buying up all of the top soccer leagues. And being sports doesn't have the money to compete with that. So now they're left with what they're left with. And I think that, you know, maybe for a year, we're going to get to see PSG on the main BN channel every week. Because they're not going to have anything else to show. Finally! Yeah, we, we get to be, the P- <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's like when the... 98 Chicago Bulls broke up and the only guy left was Tony Kukoc and they tried to build the team around Kukoc. Yeah. Shout out to Kukoc. I don't know if it's that, if it's that bad, but you know, PSG can't carry that league, that network on their own. No, I'm sorry. It's just not that not in this country. They can't, I think PSG are probably more popular around the world than they've ever been. But I think the, the United States, I've had issues with the way they've tried to market to the United States market. And I don't think they've, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say it. I know we, I know we're on the, on the Twitch and I know we have, we have, it's fine. Say what you need to. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I don't think they've done a good enough job building this brand no. in the United States. And I think the way that this brand is the way that PSG has grown in the United States has been from the grassroots. I think it's been from, PSG Club New York and PSG in Los Angeles and PSG clubs in Chicago. I think that's where you get the the growth of PSG on this continent in Montreal as well, even though I don't even think it's as big in Montreal as it should be. So, you know, having PSG be your top, you know, attraction on your television network is not going to be, it's not going to be no, I don't think it's going to last. Ratings are and not going to be good. Happen, and I think what will happen is BN will fold. I think it will fold within the next six months. And I think the the TV rights will go up for, for – they'll go up into – you know, they'll be – anyone can get them. And I think that – I think either CBS or ESPN or NBC 
They're going to need sports content to fill out their streaming services. So I think you're going to get League on on Peacock or League on on uh, Paramount Plus. That, that uh, I'd like to see that. Just with Jonathan Johnson being at CBS, um, yeah. he's been on the show. I, I'd love to see CBS get it. I mean, you know what my thing is. I, I hope Amazon gets it and then they stream games on Twitch. I just think that would be such a cool new type of viewership for a major league uh, soccer league yeah. to have it on on Twitch and people like watching it in real time and commenting and and all that. I just think it'd be something cool and unique, which is what this like, this league needs. Yeah. They need something kind of kitschy, you know, something that's kind of unique. And well, go ahead. The fact of the matter is that League on has so screwed up their own television rights in their own country that it's almost like it's almost secondary at this point. Like if they're able to get some money from, uh, I think they'll take whatever offer they can get to just get exposure for the product and it it is sort of unfortunate that you have a team like psg in a league where you know and it's such a poorly run league but you know be in sports and sort of go back to that i'm sort of writing their epitaph here but they were you even saw it in in four or five years ago their app was not up to was just not up to stuff they just finally now this season got it kind of working right with all the normal features that people are used to but you see a lot of their top talent leaves ray hudson's probably going to go to espn so he can scream when Messi scores and um everybody's leaving there all their talent i I think you're right it's going to fold i i hope we get something new for next season whether it's amazon twitch or CBS, Paramount, whatever it might be, I just hope we get something new. Um, it's it's been far too expensive and ridiculous to try to stream PSG League on games. So hopefully they can get it sorted out here before next season. All right, Mark, we've gone over time here. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I've been flashing. Let me just do it real quick. Um, if anybody wants to follow us on Twitter, these are our handles. This is how you can find us. You can read all of Mark Damon's replies uh, from the Barcelona fans if you need a good laugh. There's some good stuff in there. All right, Mark, anything else you want to add to the show before we get out of here? Uh, no, I just think um, it's been a nice week for the, for the brand here. Yeah. Um, you know, getting uh, – Fabrizio. I guess the, well, I mean, yeah, and, and again, kudos to him because he's, you know – I, I think there's been a dearth of quality football reporting in the past. And if he can be the guy that breaks through and becomes Adam Schefter or uh, Shams Kamara or, you know, Adrian Wojciechowski, Woj you know, Fab or, bombs, like Darren, Fab bombs. Or, like, or like Darren Drager in hockey or, you know, <laughs> if he can become that guy, yeah. really become that guy and not sort of have a nice two year run. Because what seems to happen is these these guys tend to get in with an agent or two, and they sort of get their sources funneled that way. And when the agents run dry, or you know, you just you, they, it's hard to sustain. Like Demarzio was the guy for a while, then yeah, he wasn't yeah. the guy. You know, there were there been there been sort of guys that were the guys and they aren't the guys. But you know, I think if he can become the uh, the the guy. I think that would be a good service because I think it would stop some of this uh, rumor mongering that we've gotten over the years. And yes. you know, to have an authoritative source, I think, would really be beneficial. So yeah. I wish him the best of luck. Yeah. Um, you know, having Jonathan on as a, you know, sort of a semi-regular 
it's good stuff. And hopefully in the summer I'll be, I'll be more free. I'll try yes. to come on the, the main show. I still would like to talk with Jonathan at one point. <laughs> we got to get you on the talk to him. I do sort of have like, you know, sort of bigger picture questions for him, yeah. but you know, um, yeah, so I'll leave it at that. We're running long. Um, Don't forget we had Robbie Thompson. Uh, he came on the Twitch broadcast. We got to talk to him. The, I called him the the voice of PSG. Yeah. At least he, for American well, fans. Yeah. Um, and I guess before we get out of here, I got a show. I've got my, my, got my jazz shirt on. PSG supporter Rudy Gobert. Game three tonight against the Clippers. So pulling for them tonight. We'll see how that goes. Um, and with that, we'll get out of here. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Au revoir for now.